Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show uncovering the news and trends that matter most for companies and their stocks across technology, media, retail, gaming, and more. I'm Tim Stenevec. This episode takes a close look at special situation investing. This is an investment strategy that really looks to capitalize on big changes in publicly traded companies. Those are events such as management shakeups, spinoffs, and what other so-called activist events. Jim Osman is the founder and CEO of Edge Consulting Group, and he joined us to discuss how he spots these types of events that spark appreciation in stock prices, and he also shares why he's bullish on MSG Entertainment. And this part's fun. Osman also delivers a word of caution against Peloton, emphasizing that the connected fitness leader could face a real threat from Zwift. This is an indoor cycling app that's since expanded to running. This was a particularly fun one because I love Zwift, but I actually don't view it as competing head-to-head with Peloton. Well, Jim does. We also spoke with Brent Thill, tech analyst at Jefferies, about Chegg. That's an education platform that you might remember from college, whether you were renting a digital textbook or searching for help with your homework assignment. Chegg has taken advantage of the transition to remote learning, and he tells us why he thinks that Chegg has the strongest operating model in the education industry. We also talk social. Phil digs into Twitter and explains why he thinks the company is tripping over their own shoelaces. Due to Twitter's less-than-ideal advertising monetization, Phil tells us other social media company stocks that he actually prefers. First, here's my conversation with Jim Osmond, founder and CEO of Edge Consulting Group. Jim, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. Pleasure to be here. So explain what the Edge Group does. What does it exactly mean to be a breakup specialist? Mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of evolving, right? I think that, you know, you can see, you can start off being something um, and then eventually become something else. So it's not what really we started at or I started um, at doing. I mean, we 14 years ago, I started the spin-off report, which, uh, which evolved into the Edge and we looked at corporate breakups and uh, the fact that, you know, that you could invest in some of these situations pre the corporate event and uh, you could potentially uh, make some money out of them um, on the other side if value was created. So, you know, we've, we've gone through life um, in looking at these special events and anything that really um, changes a stock price in terms of in terms of some sort of event within the stock. But ultimately, we've come to um, a point where we still do that. Um, it's still super interesting. Um, but we also look at uh, uh, breakups for activists. And we kind of seek out, we've all experienced now, of looking at public breakups. We look at actually companies to um, look for to break up and suggest those where we feel like um, value can be, can be created in a number of ways, whether it's a replacement of the management, whether it's spin off a business or any other um, uh, activity in, in between that. So that's what that's where we are now. So I would say I'm a jack of all trades. I'm a very specialist in that space, but um, I do a few things within that space. So bring us through the process of, of how you actually find deals. Mm-hmm. So on the public announcements, I mean, it is what it is, right? Um, we search, um, we have our screening methods for finding, um, you know, interesting companies. I mean, you've got to remember that you know, companies that go, let's, let's, let's look at two things, for example. 
companies go through IPOs, right? IPO, I, as a company, as a broker, I want to sell you that stock at the highest price possible to make as much money as I can out of you. So what am I going to do? I'm going to shout about it. I'm going to have a road show. I'm going to be on TV. And uh, hopefully you'll pay up uh, much more than uh, the price is worth so I can stuff you in, right? That's an IPO. Mm -hmm. Con contrast that to a special situation or a corporate event where there's a spin-off happening. Now, it's not an IPO. There's no share sold. You get them by default. And, and ultimately, um, you're, you, you, you know, the management will gain sh actual shares of that stock themselves. So what's the incentive there? Well, let me tell you, the incentive there is to make the stock price as low as possible so they get their shares as low as possible. So consequently, these things aren't advertised. So how we screen is we look for these situations where there's these small announcements. Um, they could be in big stocks, um, small stocks, mid cap, whatever. But we look for these kind of corporate change announcements, not just in spin-offs, but where where the management are going to position themselves. I mean, you know, and obviously we analyze um, uh, how well they're going to do. But ultimately, uh, can, 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 we, can we analyze the situation that they're getting in? And if they're smart enough, they're buying shares themselves or they're getting incentives themselves. So they have no reason to shout about that. And that's why that's what the reason why we exist because people don't look for these situations and they should and they should get involved because they're some of the most value creating um, situations around when a company goes through change. Are there any future activist ideas that uh, you're currently considering or looking into that you can actually share with us or this is the type of thing you you can't talk about before you make some sort of announcement. Yeah, you know what? On the on the private stuff, it's very very difficult, right? I mean, you know, you, you'll understand that. You know, we're we're looking for. Uh, but I'll tell you what we're looking for. We're looking for companies that are um, underperforming. Um, absolutely, we're looking at companies that are underperforming relatively to their peers. We're looking at management that's underperformed. We're looking at um, stocks which have potential for being a lot higher than they should be by being separated. Um, so, and, and we're looking at various factors that, so qualitative and quantitative, um, you know, we're looking at the total shareholder returns and, uh, and we're looking at everything in between that, you know, how's the management done? Are they just paying themselves? You know, um, so all those things that that's how we look for stocks, um, to give, um, to give the listeners a clue and how we do things. And, um, you know, but I, I wouldn't encourage investors really to go down that route because it, it takes an activist to change. And, and if the activist is not there, then, um, you know, they could sit on that stock for a long, long time and nothing will happen. So but we try and um, suggest those names to the activists. But that gives you a clue into how we look for names. I hope that's, uh, hope that's uh, helpful, Tim. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the, the flip side of this is, is three stocks that you, that you like right now. Um, yeah. What are some of those? Absolutely. So, so I'll give you, I'll give you, the, um, I'll give, I'll give you three, um, which are very, very interesting to um, – uh, to the listeners, and if they if they want much much more, they can certainly check in on the website. But um, I've got three for you today, and uh, one um, I, I suppose we can kind of start. I mean, I, I try not to love stocks. Um, I, mean, I think it's a path to disaster. But one I I do like on the fundamentals, and one I think that uh, uh, the average uh, uh, what I say average investor, we're all average investors, that the the investor can actually understand um, is MSGE. Um, now, a couple of months ago, well, maybe three, four months ago now, um, MSG, which everybody knows about, Madison Square Garden, um, broke up into two entities. Now, those two entities um, were MSG Sports Corporation and MSG Entertainment Corporation. 
Now, the sports company is MSGS, um, and it's the holding company for the two sports team, teams, New York Knicks, uh, New York Rangers, and holds the gaming and the uh, official NBA sports franchise and all that sort of thing. That's well, That one's interesting by itself. The one I want to push, push to you and the listeners is MSGE, which is the, uh, the leader in life experiences um, uh, comprised of um, iconic venues such as the Garden, Hulu Theatre, uh, Radio City Music Hall, um, Chicago Theatre, and, uh, and also this new entity that they're developing in Las Vegas, which is called the MSG Sphere. Now, the MSG Sphere probably most people wouldn't have heard of, but they are building a, uh, a stadium and um, it's going to be entirely esports. Now, I'll say to your listeners, look, I'm a value investor at heart, but you know, if you look at the market at the moment, people are interested in technology. Okay, you're either a winner this year on investing in big tech or you're a winner in special situations. If you've got any of that stuff in between, you've done pretty average. So that's what I want to push to you. And then we got the tech and the special situation together. We got MSGE. So what I'm proposing is this um, stock at the moment is trading at a ridiculous discount. And as you can see, um, actually appeared over the weekend in Barron's. And uh, it's up 8% today, I guess, on that news because uh, I can't see any other news. But it's got substantial upside in this one because you are buying a uh, you're buying the Dolans for one, which you know a lot of people don't like in New York City, but you can't ignore their, their pure People value. have opinions about the Dolans, that's yeah. for sure. Thanks for correcting me on that. And um, <laughs> but, uh, that, that's one where, you know, you can't ignore the fact that these guys are good and, um, you know, they, they've created these two businesses. So you're buying into those guys, whether you like them or not. You're also buying um, a great business and you're buying a potential for the future. And that's important that uh, people recognize that because as a, an esports, um, esports are gaining and gaining and they're going to replace re- regular sports over time. And people go, well, that's stupid, Jim, because we all like sports. Well, look at sports at the moment. You've got less people going to games. You've got the politicization of the games. You've got young people who just don't give a crap about going to sports games. Um, and they're more interested in playing on their uh, computers. So, you know, you've got all these uh, this stuff coming through. So this is a great name which people want to look at, MSGE. Um, and uh, it's one for the future. I, I want to jump in and just talk Peloton very briefly because this is one company uh, that you're actually bearish on. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, could be surprised by that. The stock is up uh, more than 120% so far this year. And I have to say from my own personal anecdotal experience, mm. I keep getting texts from friends in New York City who are telling me that they've uh, just ordered a Peloton and they're waiting like you know six or eight weeks for yeah. it to arrive hey, look, and look, it just look. seems like this is the time for peloton to succeed i think peloton's great right look listen i'm particularly bearish on peloton i want to get that out of the way for example but what i want to say to you is there's something in the background here that's been gaining um i've been using a company called zwift now yeah zwift, i know zwift very well i use zwift too yeah and, that, and, I'm, and i'm a big cyclist as well and um i used Zwift from when it was launched in 2012 and what you've got to realize is you know peloton is great right look for the middle class, let's say two twenty three hundred for a bike plus thirteen bucks a week, um, you know, is probably reasonable, or is it? Um, but you know, for the masses, and they still, and, and we got realised that this pandemic has brought home exercise to everyone because they realise they're just eating too much, um, and they've maybe gone out and buy a bike, and, and and they can't go to the gym, 
Yeah, and you can't even buy a bike at the moment, never mind a Peloton bike. So you can't even mm-hmm. buy a regular bike. If you want your bike service, and you all know this, Tim, you have to wait a month for it. Right. So, you know, so this is brought home. So you've got the Peloton, 2300 bucks. Uh, if you can get it, six weeks' time, you say. you got a subscription of 13 bucks a month. Or you've got Zwift, no fee. You hook your bike up to a tra- smart trainer, and you've got 15 bucks a month. Now, you tell me what's going to appeal to the masses um, going down the line. So, That's so interesting. So I would actually make the opposite argument. I would say that Peloton, you know, because I talk to people about this a lot because I am a serious cyclist. I love Zwift and I got really into Zwift this year. But but Zwift is Zwift is for the competitive cyclist. And, and I don't see a huge total addressable market there. These are people who buy bikes that cost thousands of dollars. I mean, the, a bike trainer alone from Wahoo Fitness or, you know, a power meter plus a dumb trainer. These are all significant startup costs that are going to cost more than a Peloton bike. The Peloton bike to me is the bike that I would actually recommend to people who enjoy spin class but but don't like competitive cycling. Well, you know, they're I, just looking for that workout. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you, but I might disagree with you. I mean, I've got a Watt bike, right? It's the same price as a Peloton bike. But, you know, you can buy a, 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 a kicker trainer for, you know, two, 300 bucks. So you can add your bike on it and you can use your bike and go outside in the summer, which is great and people mm-hmm. want to do because you get cabin fever with Zwift, Zwift with the hot weather. Of course. And, um, and, and you can hook that up. And like I say, it's 15 bucks a month. And I'd also disagree the fact that, you know, or I might agree with you, everything's competitive, right? If you're on that, uh, if you're on that peloton and the guy's shouting in front of you and he's going, "Come on, yeah, let's go!" Right? Are you telling me you're not competitive and you're doing that? Right. So Fair. if I put in front of you, I say, "Tim, do you want to race with a guy, or do you want to race on your own, or do you want an interval workout in front of you?" You know, Zwift, and um, and you can get all that. But what they're bringing home more is you're going to be able to participate in races, which, and this is my vision for the future, that these these races will be online. Okay, so you're going to be able to participate with some of the stars. I mean, you've I've done, to- I've done, yeah, I've done oh, these races totally, and I've been on Zwift with with some of the professional cyclists, and yeah, can I keep up 400 watts? I'm not so sure, but um, you know, it's the, the the buzz of seeing someone's name there. I mean, you know, I interviewed Eric Min as well, um, and just the buzz of seeing someone is quite exciting. Um, so there's there's a lot of new dynamics at work with the Zwift, and, and at that price, you know, I think it's going to attract some people, and they're bringing on a lot of the virtual sports as well, not just cycling. So you can run on there now as well. So I don't know if you're a keen runner, but you can run on there as well. Um, they're introducing some other stuff. So you know, I think this is just going to get bigger. Like it's say, a fascinating company. It's still privately held, uh, and it's unclear what's going to happen to it in the future. Do you think there's going to be an IPO with Zwift anytime well, soon? You know, I interviewed Eric, and I think towards the end of the year, they're going to be looking at something to do in the IPO um, um, space. And like I say, Peloton's gone well because there isn't any competition out there, and I don't think that many people have heard of Zwift, right? So um, so, so that's my argument for Zwift. So I'm not saying that Peloton I'm bearish. I'm just saying there's going to be some competition here. It's going to be cheaper. And arguably, you know, there's some different dynamics which people need to think about. So, so that's again, that's kind of bringing the esports home again. That's bringing, um, yeah. So, explain explain what that is for for listeners who don't know Zwift, because unless you really try Zwift, you, you don't really understand the the gamification elements. Because it's not just a virtual representation of you on your mm-hmm. bike going as fast as you're pedaling. There are a lot of gamification elements as well. Different levels that you get to by cycling certain distances. There are power ups you get 
and you have to use them at the right time in races. Talk a little bit about the, the gamification, the esports aspect of this. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that is very simplest. Um, you know, Zwift is a, is a cycling running app at the moment, right? So you can do either. Um, you can run on your treadmill. Um, if you've got a treadmill at home, you got you can you can drop you can ride your bike, and you'll see a virtual um, um, a picture of yourself on the screen along with everyone else's on that, and you get the opportunity to ride in. Um, uh, different areas of the world and more of those are getting added and you know you can ride around central park right look i'm not saying it's it's like the real thing but i'm saying you know it's interesting you can ride around london you can ride around yorkshire so you know all these kind of things and you know ultimately you know what, what's your goal right what's your goal the goal is getting fit right everyone wants to be fit and everyone wants to be lean let's face it so you know uh, what do you want to do to, to get that do you want to participate in a race which you can do um, and you can get in different categories. So you can say, well, you know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the fast guy. You know, I want to get in with these guys and stretch myself. Or actually, you know, I want to sit on the back with the, with the slower guy. So you've got that option, but you also got the options of total interval training. And you've tried some of these, Tim, I'm sure. I mean, you get off the bike yeah. and you're absolutely <laughs> shattered. You've got a, a fitness test, an FTP test. Yep. You can do any time you want. And that, that shows you improvement in fitness. So if you're, you know, go orientated, one, you're going to buy these anyway, but two, it's going to push you to try even harder. And um, and like I say, it's just, it's just super interesting for me because, um, you know, you can you can develop your own character. Yeah, you get um, different, um, you know, I've got, the, I've got the the top bike at the moment in the Zwift, you know. the, the, the Yeah, flat- different bikes. You, you level up and you can get different equipment. You can get faster bicycles, faster wheels, and that does make a big difference when you're competing against uh, your friends and people who are halfway around the world, which is Absolutely. something that's really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you know, it's just it makes it the interesting factor. You know, let's face it. You know, I swim, bike, and run, but swimming is the most boring exercise in the world. And um, you know what? That's why they invented underwater headphones because people were bored. So you know, it's it's all to make it a little bit more interesting. No one really wants some exercise. You know, if there's a tablet out there that made you lose weight, right? <laughs> we'll be we'll be all on it, right? Of For course. No reason. So you know, you got there's there's nothing like hard work to keep you lean, and uh, and if it's interesting, even better. So, you know, like I say, I'm not bearish on Peloton. It's a great company. It's just, you know, just be aware of something else coming in the background here. And uh, like, no, everyone's going out to buy bikes. And in the winter, what are they going to do? Well, they're not, yeah. they're not biking in the snow, are they? That's, that's so interesting. Yeah, you really made me think differently about Zwift. I've always seen it as a, a niche product for the real cycling enthusiast and, and, and Peloton as being something of a much bigger addressable market. But I love hearing uh, the the other angle. Jim Osman, CEO and founder of The Edge Group, thank you so much for joining us on The Voices of thank Wall Thank you, Street Jim. Podcast. Real pleasure. Thank you very much. With limited competition at the moment, Peloton is certainly winning the race when it comes to connected fitness. But as Jim says, the rising popularity of up-and-coming rivals such as Zwift could knock Peloton off its path. Let's now turn our attention to another stock that has proven to be a winner of the stay-at-home trend. That's Chegg which could just be getting started. Here's my chat with Brent Thill, tech analyst at Jefferies. Brent, thanks so much for joining us. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about Chegg, and then we'll, we'll talk about Twitter in, in just a second, but we'll, we'll start with Chegg. So you say that Chegg probably has the strongest operating model when it comes to the education industry. I think a lot of people are familiar with Chegg. Maybe they rented textbooks from Chegg back in the day, um, but perhaps they're not familiar with how the company has has shifted and transformed, especially uh, over the last couple of years. Break down the core of the business and how it generates revenue. 
Yeah, Chegg uh, is a really unique story. Uh, they uh, effectively go after the students. They don't go after the institutions. And they go after students, and as Dan Rosenzweig, their CEO, uh, says, you know, it's uh, learn to, to earn. And most kids are going to college, uh, even, you know, working adults that are uh, not kids are going to, to effectively master a topic so they can get a good job. So Chegg effectively helps you master the topics you're trying to learn and get that job that you always wanted. And so the unique advantage that Chegg has had is they don't have to get the teachers to buy in. They don't have to get the institutions to buy in. It's helpful, but they can go directly to the students. The students pay a fee uh, per month, uh, $15 to $20 a month to uh, enable Chegg uh, services. And Chegg is an encompass you know, group of uh, different services from math to writing to mastering certain topics. They now have launched into skills-based learning. So if you went to college and you have a history major, but you want to be a computer developer or a data scientist, you can go to uh, their solution and actually get the skills that you need to, to be a computer programmer or data scientist. Uh, and so I think they're adding uh, that as a new category uh, on top of the core of what they've been in. And that is opening up the opportunity set. They are now also going international. So today, a largely the majority of the revenues in the US, but they are now expanding into other English speaking countries uh, that have the same similar learning standards as the US, such as Australia, uh, the UK and Canada. Uh, so. At the core, they're providing uh, a service that helps you master uh, the, the topics that you're trying to learn. You pay a monthly fee, uh, you pay as you go, and you can cancel as uh, at, at your at your desire. Well, the stock so far this year has performed incredibly well. It's, it's up uh, just about 100% since the beginning of the year. It reached record highs a few weeks ago. Why has the trend of stay at home uh, been so good for Chegg? It's been good in a tailwind because effectively kids are trapped at home going to school on Zoom and they don't have the help. They can't walk up to the teacher and say, hey, I'm not getting this math problem. I, I don't understand the sentence structure on on, on, on this report. I, I'm, I'm not quite getting this problem that I'm supposed to master. So many of these students go to the help desks uh, inside their colleges and universities uh, they go see the teacher during office hours. You can't do that. And so uh, I think what, what's happened is you have used Chag as a substitute uh, to helping you along the way uh, get get through the class, get through the problems that, that you need you need help with. And what I think is also interesting is um, many of the teachers are like, well, we offer help desk solutions. They could they could set up office hours and call me. They can do a Zoom. But I think what, what most students say to us is that they're failing to understand a problem, perhaps because the teacher has a style that they don't relate to, and they need a third-party way that, to, to, look, to learn it. Um, they also you know, have a tutoring offering, so you can actually get, if you can't actually find that, the answer uh, in their system, you can go get a tutor and have a tutor walk you through one-on-one. So there's multiple aspects um, to how it helps round, rounds out what, what, the, what the teachers uh, are doing. Some of the teachers like Chegg, some of the teachers are obviously defensive and 
don't like check is you know who better than the me to teach you right i'm the me but but i think that the tailwind of, 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 of learning from home has just created more complexity and created the, the need the need for check so how is Chegg going to be able to continue to with this momentum once? And I think it's hard for a lot of us to imagine right now, but once the the pandemic does end and things do sort of go back to, to quote unquote normal, the idea of, of, of being in class and people being on campus and students actually going physically back to school, how does Chegg continue to drive on this momentum when, when that happens inevitably? So their momentum was really good. Um, uh, even before COVID hit, right? So they were generating 30% top line growth and 30% bottom line margins even before COVID. When COVID hit, it was an additional accelerant to their to their growth rate. And so our, our view going forward is that we are going to be in a hybrid learning environment. I think schools are learning that they can't just rely on the classroom. Uh, the unfortunate forest fires that are happening here in California, uh, power outages. Uh, all these things that are happening, right? You're you're effectively having to go to uh, a hybrid learning environment, and so no one believes it's going to go all online or all in class. We believe it will be a hybrid environment going forward, and so Chegg will benefit. And also, when you go back to the skills-based learning uh, angle of their strategy, right? It's like you could have gone to school, but now you want to learn a new topic. You can go back and, and learn that even after you've graduated. Uh, there's a career onboarding application that lets uh, actual uh, companies look at marketing, finance, engineering, undergrad to say, well, here, here's a collection. Chegg is, is evolving their business model to not only just go after college, but now with the Mathway acquisition to go after university, or, uh, uh, sorry, uh, when you think about uh, the ability that math is a global uh, language. It's not just a U.S. language, and it and it, it cuts across, uh, you know, high school and and to college. So they really haven't focused on the high school market. Um, that gets them into the high school market. All these other initiatives they're launching are effectively surrounding kind of the core, which has been traditional the undergrad college experience for them. So we we think that, again the education market's big. Uh, there's a big opportunity for them to uh, broaden their platform. And their biggest challenge is, you know, just making sure that they stay focused and don't try to, you know, bite off too much at one time. Well, the company you mentioned uh, has made uh, some acquisitions in the past. It does have close to a billion dollars in cash uh, and investments on its balance sheet. How do you expect Chegg to be on the M&A front? Are there any potential targets that could be complementary to the business? Yeah, they they have been very inquisitive. Um, they just raised more capital. They'll have. You know, well north of a billion dollars uh, of capital to work now with this, con- this this recent raise. So we we believe uh, that they will continue to be inquisitive. Uh, there's only a couple real meaningful public companies in the space, uh, and so many of these are private. And so uh, these private companies, uh, like a Mathway, they had talked to Mathway for a long time. They knew the founders. They respected the business, and effectively they got that deal done. And that was one of the largest deals they've ever done. Uh, Thinknum, which was the skills-based learning solution uh, they acquired, they're going to continue to be very inquisitive. We believe that it makes sense given how fragmented the market is. Uh, we expect them to continue to roll up different aspects of, of learning 
Uh, also, there's an opportunity, you know, over time, could they look at international players, countries where uh, they don't have a presence? Could they go there? Uh, could they look at uh, the K through 12 space, which they have really been in? Uh, but you know, could they look? Could they look downstream? Could they look upstream to certain things around, you know, nursing school, med school, like other programs, you know, that that companies are, are building. Yeah, Chegg, Chegg has been Chegg has been an amazing story. We don't have too much time left, so I wanted to get your thoughts on on Twitter, another company that you follow. You have a hold rating and a thirty nine dollar price target. Why are you on the sidelines right now when it comes to Twitter? We just like other ad names better, so we like uh, Facebook, we like Snap, even Amazon. You have a, a, a ad business growing forty plus percent. I mean, Twitter just you know when you compare contrast all, all the vendors, they are the slowest growing. They've had the worst execution. They have the eyeballs, but they don't have the monetization, right? So you can obviously spend a lot of time on the site, but right now they're exposed to brand advertisers, not direct response advertisers. So direct response is, I'm sitting at home during COVID. I want to learn to play guitar. Uh, these other sites are, are proving, hey, we can bring Gibson or the other guitar manufacturers to you. In Twitter's case, it's mainly brand advertising. You now, Ford, Audi, name your big brand that goes on and, and advertises, that brand advertisement is not as strong as direct response and Twitter is largely brand. So we think that there's a combination of factors from financial to execution uh, to uh, just other stories that we think are performing better, that we like better. Uh, Facebook is our top pick in the advertising space and I would buy Facebook all day long over Twitter. Yeah, it's certainly uh, done well. I mean, it's, since it went public, pretty much, and, and it's had an incredible year too. Uh, what would Twitter need to do to jumpstart revenue growth? Well, they need to get some of these technical issues fixed. They keep kind of tripping on their own shoelaces on some of the, the product side. Uh, number two, they need to get the advertisers back spending with them, which they're spending on the other platforms in a way bigger way, and it's it's reflective of the numbers. I think third, um, they have never really had a strong SMB initiative. So small and mid-sized businesses. I mean, this is the heart of Facebook. Yeah, this it's is bread and butter for the company. Yeah, and so you look at it; they don't have a great solution there. So they're missing out on all the mom and pops that are moving online. Uh, you know, you, you look at the alternatives right now; um, they're just in a stronger position. There's no doubt Twitter has a great following. I use it. Many people use it every day, but they're not getting the advertisers there. So you can't have eyeballs and not the revenue. And we think, again, a lot of the other ad names have the eyeballs and have the revenue. And, and, and again, that's uh, you know a few things that we're watching for. Well, I know Twitter doesn't have the cash uh, on its balance sheet, but is there any potential that it could acquire TikTok through its private equity help or, or any sort of financial engineering? Yeah, I mean, there could be a consortium that could come together. Uh, I think you know, there's no, there's no question um, that that would be an interesting asset for them. Uh, it certainly, would be a better home, in my opinion, than at Oracle, which is the recent <laughs> chatter. But uh, you know, I, I think, I think that there's a better home for TikTok, and we think again, Microsoft feels like they're in the lead. They, they make yeah. the most sense. Oracle doesn't make any sense to me. Twitter is definitely makes sense. Uh, but but probably not their number one focus right now, uh, from from an M and A perspective. But certainly could could make sense. Never rule it out. 
Brent Thill, thanks so much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. That does it for today's episode. If you're a fan of the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tim Stanovic, and this is the Voices of Wall Street podcast.